And from 2017, then there's Benjamin and the Dream Dancers and a great tune called Not One More Tear. And live on the phone from New York, from Central Park, is Ben Pirani, the man himself. Ben, welcome to Radio Newark. Welcome to England. Oh, thanks a lot. I'm happy to be here. Great, great. Now then, um, I want to talk about your brand new LP because it's hitting the UK and Europe by storm. Uh, How do I talk to my brother? New release, new label. Oh, that's amazing. That's right. Yeah, wow, amazing. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, the previous two releases uh, on Palmetto Records, I think it was, um, they were uh, Not One More Tear and also um, Light of My Life. They're both on this LP, aren't they? So if you missed the limited yeah, edition singles, yeah. you can still get those great tracks on vinyl, on glorious blue vinyl as well. So tell me about yeah, the LP, yeah. Ben. Well, um, I had, uh, you know, I had these these two singles. Well, the first one, it, we didn't know what to expect, you know. Mm-hmm. I just started it out as sort of a side project. And I said, oh, we'll put out a we'll put out a limited number and hopefully we can sell them, you know what I mean? And it took about two weeks and then it it was over with. Yeah. Just, they were flying out, and they were even before they were sold out. They were they were going on uh, discogs. I thought it was funny. Um, so, and then you know, I had this other material that was actually older. I said, "Well, let me get this, finish this up, and get it out." And we put out the second single, which was also a success. Uh-huh. Um, it's funny that the size that you mentioned of the single, depending on who you are, is your A side. Yeah, so, right. You know, a lot of people like the Dream is for Free side. Yeah, that's or, more of a crossover uh, tune, is it? I mean, Not One More Tear was uh, more in the northern soul vein, but um, Dream is for Free. Uh, oh, no, that's the other one, isn't it? Light of My Life has got Dream is for Free on the B side. What's that? I say Light of My Life's Dream got Dream is for Free on the B side. Right. That's it. What was the flip to yeah. um, Not One More Tear? It's Understanding? That was... Uh... That's what you mean to me. Ah, that's it. Beautiful tune. Beautiful tune. Yeah, the mid-tempo. Yeah. Great stuff. Shall we have a listen? Um, So, um, I mean, you write a lot of your own material, don't you? All of it. All of it. Fantastic. So how did you, um, I mean, are you professionally trained? Did you uh, study music as um, a subject at school? No, never. I, uh, despite having... uh, musician parents uh professional musicians yeah i guess my youthful rebellion was to say no mom i'm not going to take piano lessons yeah. <laughs> uh you know at 40 i'm not sure if that was the right choice but uh uh-huh. it, it seems to i learned new stuff about music every day well i mean you you are a multi-instrumentalist aren't you you're a multi right. i started out uh banging on the drums uh and um well, what happened is I moved out of my parents' house, right. and no one was going to tolerate that level of noise, no roommate <laughs> or neighbor. <laughs> so I picked up the guitar, and uh, and I guess I was about 21, and um, yeah, I got a hold of that one pretty quick, and then I uh, I started to play the piano, and uh, yeah, I picked that up pretty pretty quick too i play by ear you know yeah i can't really i can't read music i know a little more now than i did mm. working with the uh, pro musicians but because we had no formal training a lot of music in the house fantastic well that's uh, right music you, in the house, you, you were saying that your parents are both musical am i right in thinking your dad actually played piano on terry Kelly as ordinary joe he played yeah that's right fantastic yeah. i mean what an iconic track and such wow, a, what a you know i didn't find that out until i was a grown-up you know i knew the I knew the tune. I even had the the forty five. Wow! And uh, never never picked up the LP, 
I never flipped it over, and the first first name on it was my dad. Kind of a mind blower. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a beautiful song too. You Isn't know? it just? Yeah. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It really, it kind of uh, wow. It's it's, it's it's hard to even explain how that yeah. how that kind of felt. Yeah. You know, particularly the you know not just the music but the song or not just like Terry Callier's uh, you know sort of prestige or anything like mm. that. You know? Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah it's a great track and of course originally he didn't write it for himself did he he wrote it for jerry butler i didn't know that yeah that's wow. right it came wow, out jerry like, butler would have done it well they were all part of a, a chicago uh, songwriting cooperative and terry kelly wrote ordinary joe as i understand it he wrote ordinary joe and then gave it to jerry butler to bring out on his lp i can't remember which one it was 1972 or some such and then terry uh, recorded it for himself the following year on cadet and then of course revamped it in 79 anyway <laughs> that's enough about him i'm talking about <laughs> you so how does a white guy get into <laughs> making such great soul music well you know i i mean um Have i you? don't want to i think it's kind of tacky to claim a a, a sort of african-american adjacency but i went to we went to a pentecostal church i grew up in the church okay and that's really where i learned to mu- learn learn music it was a pretty multiracial environment yeah, yeah. um at my church, there's a lot of Puerto Ricans and uh, also Romanians, oddly enough. Right. Um, so you've got lots and lots and, of musical uh, influences, a real cosmopolitan sort of mix of people and cultures. Just from the start. And, you know, my mom I'm, my mom is a classically trained uh, soprano singer. Oh, right. So she would go and sing in, like, the, you know, the, the um, like, the Lutheran churches and uh, mm-hmm. synagogues and stuff. So right. I would always be right behind her, you know listening to all this fabulous music and i took it all in great um a lot of classical music in the house too uh-huh so um, what are your personal influences then what did you grow up listening to a lot of oldies radio mm-hmm. um you know at that time oldies radio isn't what it was when i was well i guess i'm <laughs> i'm 30 years older <laughs> but uh you know in, the, in those days you could hear like you know just plenty of motown my guy you know yeah, yeah. you beat me to the punch like this kind of stuff uh-huh. also a lot of like you know, I don't know, the Yardbirds for your love. You oh, know, great, yeah. Like that, the Rolling Stones. The Beatles definitely, <laughs> definitely sort of solidified my... I, I was heard some Beatles, and I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, especially yeah, the, the latest adult, stuff was a lot... There's such a... Sorry. I was going to say the Beatles. The later sure. stuff was was so much more um, produced than the earlier stuff. It was it was more masterful, wasn't it? They put a lot of. They really blossomed through the career. Right, that's exactly right. And I loved the the harmonies, you know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize until later on that how heavily influenced they were by R and B music. Yeah, it's very clear. Uh, even in the later years. Well, apparently they um, were um, they applied to sign for Motown, you know, and it got turned down. <laughs> that's just amazing i had no idea apparently wow that's really cool yeah that's how they wound up on vj right? mm, maybe yeah. uh right um what else was going to ask you about oh, i've gone blank now you see i took me off on a, took me off on a tangent um so you oh, were a good thing that we're not alive right <laughs> no quite right uh you started off on palmetto records and now you've moved to coal mine have you um is that a larger platform for you yeah, yeah, indeed. Like I said, we didn't really know what to expect. So it was just my buddy and I, you know, and he, you know, I, he loaned me a little bread and mm-hmm. put it together and um, and put it out. I mean, like I said, it was just kind of a, an aside to whatever just a project. I was working on at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was, 
that was really it. You know, I drew the label and I, uh, <laughs> it really came together just in a, a couple of weeks. You Fantastic. Know? And then, all home uh, produced. I that tone. What's that? I say it's all home produced then if you're designing the label as well. Yeah, yeah, all home produced. Um, and that one really was, was really recorded at home. Oh, wow. <laughs> we recorded, yeah, yeah, we recorded. On Dreamers for Free, I play almost everything. Uh-huh. And then I brought in a band to play uh, to play on um, Light of My Life, yeah. which is why it cooks. You know, I couldn't have done that by myself. You, you, you can't get that kind of feel, like overdubbing yourself, you know, mm-hmm. which was... Which was great, and you also a lot of great musicians came in on that. Yeah, it's a great single. Uh, came out in 2016, of course, as a limited press, sold out, and it's been repressed. This is Light of My Life. There's a great track called Try Love. Track one, side one, from the brand new LP from Ben Pirani. Available now from, uh, well, all usual outlets, Juno, First Experience Records, and the album's called How Do I Talk to My Brother? And joining me live on the phone now from New York City, I've got the man himself, Ben Pirani. And you also, I mean, your your, um, your talents don't just stop at songwriting, singing instrumentals and um, whatever else. You're, you're also um, producing music. Garfield Fleming's Hustling. Uh, for Raoul's Galloway's That's cordial true. recordings, you've done, you've produced that. Yeah. That's another string to your bow, oh, then. That was, that was a really fun project, actually. Um, it took me, it took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around it. Uh-huh. And, uh, I had to move a lot of stuff around, and um, I did two versions. So I did one that was an acoustic version, which is what Raoul asked me for in the first place. Yeah. And I said, eh, I don't want to do that. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to do that. You know. <laughs> so I did the funk version, which is which is really, really deep and synthy. And um, grumblingly, I, I, it was due. I had to get it to Raul. I woke up at 5.30 in the morning, and I sat down with my guitar, and I cut, I cut the acoustic version and then overdubbed some flute, and that was that. And um, it turns out, in the end, that's my favorite version of it. It's the one that came out yeah. on the single. Good job. It's got kind of a Baroque, Baroque soul feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I put a lot of backing vocals on it, too. Lots of stacks. So let's have a listen to that then. Garfield Fleming's brand new release on Cordial Recordings, uh, produced by and co-written by tonight's studio guest, Ben Pirani. This is Garfield Fleming and Hustling. There's Garfield Fleming then with a fine example of the work you're doing for your uh, Raoul Galloway's UK-based label, uh, Cordial Recordings. How did you meet Raoul? Um, I think he saw me playing... You know, I play a little classical guitar and all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. And he, he caught me on Instagram, just playing a little, a little guitar, and and he had the idea for me to produce this track for Garfield. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I I would love to do, do anything for Raul uh, to work with him again. He's the coolest. Yeah. Well, he's a really he decent also, guy. We, we chat about punk a lot. You know, all right. <laughs> he's a former punk. And, all and right. That's something I I definitely so definitely went through as a. I mean, when you talk about punk, are you yeah. talking about the New York scene or are you talking about the English scene? Both. Uh, you know, I, you know, of course, I heard like the Clash and the Sex Pistols mm-hmm. first, and then, you know, th- then there was stuff like Velvet Underground, New York Dolls, but then I started to get into stuff like Sham Sixty Nine. Oh right, yeah. Cox Bar and um, a lot of Oi. Oh right, yeah. Know? Angelic Cup starts. A, there was a big. What's that? Angelic Cup starts. I got a few of their LPs. Oh sure, man! All that stuff, sure. Partisans, um, and then a lot of uh, like uh, 
DC hardcore and there's a excuse me there's a great great scene in Chicago lots of great bands All right. when I was a kid um, and I feel I, I, you know, I was very lucky to be a part of that um, at that particular time yeah uh, yeah a kind of a classic era wow. now the young ki- I see the young kids with the t-shirts you know and I'm like hey man I was I was there <laughs> I man. was there yeah <laughs> But that's the thing. I mean, I don't know what it's yeah. like in America. But I mean, but again, I, I said in my bio, I mean, I do draw a parallel between that. Like I said, I, you know, back then I was making music. Just, you know, I didn't have anything to do, nowhere to go. And I kind of found some, you know, some other... Yeah, a bit kids, of an identity. You know, some other kids. We started making yeah. some music, you know, an outlet. And, um, you know, I did it myself. I'm still doing it myself. Yeah, great. Well, you're doing a fine job of it as well. Fine job of it. You said, but yeah. well, I don't know whether it's the same in America, but in England, when I was a teen, I mean, I'm, I'm 51 now, so I was sort of coming through, getting into music around um, 79, you know, and that way on. And you were either, you were defined by the music you listened to, you were either a mod or you were a, a rocker or you were a, a trendy or you were a, a skinhead or whatever else. And um, it, it, defined, right. it defined how you looked, it defined what you listened to, it defined where you went. But nowadays, looking into the youth culture, there is no youth culture that I can see. There's no sort of... All the music right. seems to be just mainstream, manufactured. And, and there's no, there's no uh, definite styles. You can't point people out and say, you're a goth, you're a, a whatever, because everybody's just... I don't know. It's like, it's like they're all clones. Is that... It's- yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I I kind of, well, I think what happens is a lot of people grow up and we forget, you know. Mm. I, it, it, you just have to dig a little deeper. Yeah. And it, it, it's out there. I mean, the style cults are definitely gone. Yeah. You know, all the skinheads I know are 40 years old. You know? <laughs> and more, yeah. That stuff is over. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> that stuff's over. Mods are over you know oh. but to that end one of the kids you know i started that windy city soul club party in chicago that's still going on yeah i saw that that was and um i met a you got a recording of that didn't you that? i saw you put a recording out of uh, one of those evenings windy city soul club oh yeah no i was just a mix yeah uh a mix of stuff i forget what it was even we put one of those out a year oh right coming up on the 10 year anniversary oh right but uh, you know we we were just doing kind of shitty nights around the city, and that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Anyway, one time this kid shows up from Minneapolis, eighteen years old. Yeah, and uh, we're like, and he wanted to DJ. Just showed up with his box. We're like, all right, and uh, <laughs> he played like first record he played was uh, uh, what was it? Never, never for me. Oh never, yeah, a millionaires, millionaires, yeah, uh, the millionaires, never for me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, millionaires. Yeah, yeah. I said, who the f- is this guy? <laughs> so what's, what's amazing is that, you know, he learned all that on YouTube, man. Yeah. Oh, it's great, you know, isn't it? He, 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 yeah. I mean, I you know, YouTube's fantastic. When I was curious. a teenager, I was wading through cardboard boxes of dusty 45s and taking them up to the to the little, uh, the single deck just to have a listen. Because you, you just don't know what these tracks are. And you're buying it buying by, by label, usually. Yeah. But now with YouTube, it's all yeah. there at your fingertips, isn't it? And of course, yeah, YouTube's right next to Discogs. Yeah, and then you, live, <laughs> you end up living under a bridge, but you got one hell of a record collection. Well, I did. You know, I did, I did just that. There's a lot of great dusty record stores in Chicago, as you can imagine. Uh huh. Um, I was late. I was late to a lot of them. You know, this was in the late '90s. Yeah. And uh, you know, 
you guys had already decimated it. You know, <laughs> the Japanese wave of Japanese came through just destroyed it. Yeah. But there was a there's a lot of stuff to be found. I also started meeting people and going to people's houses and stuff like that, which was great. <clears throat> but uh that's how I did it. Yeah. You know, the boxes. That's Went it. in there with my fingertips. Now that's not dead entirely. No, no, I, I do that myself. You know, there's I'd... like the progressives more progressive scene are playing all kinds of new stuff every day people are discovering new records yeah absolutely so and that's what fires me up yeah. you see it doesn't have to be brand new music it can still be old music that, that's been looked over you know overlooked rather because um the more i know about soul music the more i know i don't know about soul music i'm only ever scratching the surface i met i went to france to dj the uh toulouse soul club uh-huh you ever heard of that yeah we are yeah that was, yeah that was a yeah great party and uh, that's actually where I met my wife. Oh, right. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Now we live together in New York. How about Fantastic. That? But uh, those guys, you know, those guys were playing like, you know, we, uh, one time, actually the night I got engaged, Soul Sam was there. Oh, he's, he's a resident of my day. Everybody's head up. I say Soul Sam's a resident. Oh, no, this day he's a resident. I was DJing with him on Sunday at somewhere else. Yeah, I know Sam. Martin. Cool. Yeah. Who else? Anyway. <laughs> you know, it was so wild for me, man, to like, I, you know, I mean, it was pretty early on in buying records, but I said, like, who are these English guys? Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, what are these dudes on? Oh, the mad you know? And I was buying, like, the Monkey Time and stuff uh -huh. like that at that time. And, like, uh, the Falcons and stuff. Stuff that was at my fingertips in, in Chicago. And yeah. there was a lot of stuff. But I said, what is this about, man? Yeah. And, you know, I started to, started to look into it a little bit. This was, like, pre-internet. Um, and then I bought at Dusty Groove. Mm-hmm. I bought, which I'm sure you heard of, I bought the Northern Soul 500. Oh, right. Said, oh, what dear. What is this about? Kev Roberts. I started listening to some of the... I mean, look, there's some questionable... Yeah, there are. <laughs> there's some questionable that got played over the years. Nine know? times out of but, ten, uh, he's one of them. <laughs> yeah, oh, dude, The Snake is oh, miserable. Kill me now. Miserable record. But that's a remake yeah, of I a mean, 50s song, you know. Yeah, it's Oscar Brown Jr. That's it, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, just awful yeah but, skiing in the snow i mean the original that, i was like oh okay i was like yeah uh, what'd you say skiing in the snow is um i mean the original uh, version the invitations that wasn't too bad but then when uh it got remade in the 70s that was dreadful oh yeah man i found that just like mint in the company sleeve <laughs> in Boston, which is a weird place to find a soul record. Right. I was having, I was with my friend Edon. He was taking too long at the record store. Uh huh. You know, and I was having like an allergy attack because it was dusty, of course. Yeah. And uh, I flipped past like two two punk forty fives, and there it was in the company sleeve, five bucks. <laughs> and um, you know that had happened to me a lot of a lot of times, but never quite like. Just, it was like, it was, you know, it was like radiating light, you know, so I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> and I didn't, I don't even buy records anymore. I sold my record club. Oh, no. So, oh, yeah, man. Oh. I had to go. Uh, uh, had well, to go. I tell you, I can, I, can it, I think I can empathize because, I mean, I've got thousands of 45s and hundreds of albums and I only ever play the same, the same 50 when I go out. So, um, the rest just gathering dust. The last to go was my, was my DJ box. Yeah. Um, luckily I have a lot of friends in New York who are happy to buy my rare records <laughs> when I'm in a page. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny if he was, I can go out tonight and visit them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I see a friend DJ, I say, oh, yeah, I sold this to you. That's you right. Know, and get to hear it and enjoy it. You know? mm. But yeah, when I got 
I was getting ready to get married. Too. Yeah. And plus, my focus is making records anyway. Absolutely. Now, which yeah. is more fun. Well, you're certainly doing a good job of that. Let's listen to the title track from the LP. This is called How Do I Talk to My Brother? How do I... It's more fun to go hear records than to DJ for me now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, at least I can... It's funny, I get, it's a different perspective of, and level of kind of enjoyment. Well, it's, um, it's a natural progression, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, um, every, yeah. yeah, it's great. Well, it's not, it's, I, not, it's I, not I natural progression. I did, yeah, yeah, and I did my work, man, you know. I was a heavy guy, you know, at one time. Yeah. Um, I definitely put in my time in the, in the crates. And, uh-huh. you know, the thing about the 500 book was like, I was like, oh, okay, records, I know, I know this, I've mm-hmm. seen this, you know what I mean? Oh, artistics. Okay, sure, I know that. Yeah. Oh, okay, like, you know, oh, George Kerr. Okay, I see that name. Mm-hmm. You know, I see Curtis Mayfield. I see, you know, I start to see, like, Tom Tom, right, the producer, or the the arranger on all these labels. Yeah. I start to notice how all the Chicago underground records look the same. Like, all the labels yeah. are, and typefaces are similar because that was, like... You know, the pressing United Pressing Plan had like mm-hmm. ten fonts to choose from <laughs> <laughs> and four label colors. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they started to become like pretty easily identifiable, and that was that was a really fun mm. that was a really fun uh, process. Oh. And like the thing is, is like I, you know, my sound is not like, or at least my DJ sound was not bangers. Like I was never I was always playing like mid tempo group stuff. Yeah. yeah. Which is funny because that's like. And then I'd be like getting into just doo wop stuff and oh, right. stuff like that. Yeah, and a bit of low rider perhaps yeah. that way on. But well, uh, you know, like Northern Soul, that was like another thing that I didn't really know about. Because mm. um, I'm from Chicago. Oh know? right, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so like, I you know I found out about that probably in the 2000s, man. And those uh-huh. guys have been hu- huge supporters, man. Right. How old huge are you, by supporters. the way? You know, what's that? How old are you, please? Thirties. I'm 40. 40. Uh, just a pup. Yeah. <laughs> man. Lovely. I'll tell you, I had a 40th birthday this year, man. I couldn't, it's, it's wild, man. Yeah. It's wild. You know that song, Not One More Tear, you know, I said I knew I'd make it. I said, man, I can actually get me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, got a nice apartment, you know, beautiful wife. I got a great life, man. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's wild. And it gets better. Yeah. It gets better. I used to think when 40 ticked well, over, I was a little bit... The, I was really down. Right? It gets better? Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, dude, 40 is... 40, is, it's pretty nice. It, it, you know, when you're young, you're crazy. Well, yeah, and you also, know? you've got no money, have you? Because, I mean, from 20 through to 40, you're, sort of, you're working all hours and you, all your money's already spoken for, and then hopefully, by the time you get to 40, maybe your house is paid for and, and the money's your own, you can start being creative, which is exactly what you're doing. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I started making those records in, like, if I'm going to be completely honest, like, a seriously dark, dark time. Oh, dear. Uh, in retrospect. Yeah, 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 it was grim. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just grew out of it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't grow out of it. It took a lot of work, actually. Yeah, yeah. But here I am. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you yeah. come out the other side. So. one more tear. That's funny, because it was just like, you know, when I recorded that, I was like, you know, I didn't even, <laughs> and I had like, you know, I was through two weeks from getting kicked out of my apartment, you know. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but here I am now. It's great. Fantastic. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, probably not uncommon for creative people to use art as um, as a medium to express their anguish and the feelings and things. So, uh, yeah, as a songwriter, you obviously got to experience life. Um, one of the songs I'd like to play now is Art Score Girl. Lovely. So um, what's next? What are you working on at the moment? I see you've got um, a Californian tour, a West Coast tour coming up next month. you got any plans to come across to England? Yeah. Well, if anybody's listening and wants to bring us over there, you know, please get at me because we're very interested in coming over to the UK and, uh, and Europe. Great. Well, um, stay for close. now, I'm just doing a lot of writing, and uh, I'm going to try to cut some records on other people, too. Um, a lot of talent in New York City. Uh-huh. Um, and over the years, I've got to meet a lot of great, great singers and worked with a lot of great people. So I'm going to try and uh, write and produce for, for some other people and spread it around a little bit, make my name more as a producer too. Oh right, I see, I see. So um, is there any? You say you're still writing. Is there um, another album on the back of How Do I Talk to My Brother? You know, I <laughs> we might just crank it out this winter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've really got it. I have a you know. Like I said on Light of My Life or on Dream is for Free, some of that earlier stuff, I recorded all the instruments myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, after having a little bit of success with this stuff, I've put together an amazing band, um, some really talented guys. So it really makes it a lot easier to come down with the material. We kind of flush it out right then and there and you know, play it for a little while, and then we're going to record it. So it's coming a lot faster now and cool. easier. Great stuff. Right, well, I'm going to play out now with um, one of my favourite tunes on the album, That's What You Mean To Me. Uh, Ben, thank you so much for giving us this time, and I wish you every success with the future ventures. Stay close, and uh, whenever you produce some new stuff, send it my way, and I'll I'll give it some airtime. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Good night. So we're going to play out now with Ben Perani's latest single. This is called It's Understanding.